Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and we are here with a very exciting guest and the first person I am meeting live on the air for the very first time, and I'm so excited to meet them and introduce them to you. This is Stephen Nance, who is a queer, non-binary singer-songwriter specializing in poetic piano pop with abundant bird references, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, They perform regularly at so far sound shows and organ birding events. Stephen is currently on their next full album, Sparkbird, and a young adult novel set at Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Eastern Oregon. Welcome to the pod, Stephen! Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Did I pronounce the name of that park right, is my first question. Melhir. Melhir. Okay. Yeah, it's, okay, it's sort well, of weird because it's French and so it, it should be like Malheur. But <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Well, we can do that. We can do yeah. that on the pod. Um, well, welcome <laughs> I was just so excited to have you here. I've been listening to your music all day long. And let me just tell (laughs) you, I am obsessed. So, but I, let's get into it. Let's formally get into it. The question we ask all of our guests, Stephen, is how are you helping create Portland? It's culture, what it is. How are you helping with that? Well, so I did the math. I knew you were going to ask this. And so I went through my calendar and I moved here two years ago and technically I've really only been in a fully functional Portland for maybe a year and the rest of it I was like it's either been quarantine or I've been on tour so Mm. so I haven't been here very long but um but I can still answer mostly for the time that feels like forever ago and so uh it almost feels like another lifetime, but um, the time before the great yeah the t- the time before virus. yeah. So how I <laughs> how I uh, was creating Portland, <laughs> um, I so I, when I moved here, I was finishing up the my most recent album, Look at the Harlequins, and so I guess my first thing that I did here really was put together a small release show that was also a fundraiser for the National Audubon, well, no, not National, but Portland Audubon Society. Mm. And, um, and it was very, it was very small. I was very new, so it was a very small event. Um, I feel like a lot of my time here has been just trying to get my foot in the door. Um, but it was, let's see, shortly after that, I started working with Don Jones Redstone, who you interviewed previously. Um, on a, yes, on a music video for my song Overwintered, and we were working on that for several months, and finally filmed it right before I left for a Europe tour, and um, and so I feel like from that point, it's like instead of being really in Portland, I was kind of representing Portland for the first time mm. as a new Portlander, um, and uh, and so. So after the Europe tour, on the way back 
I got a very exciting opportunity that was to go to National Audubon Society headquarters in New York and for an interview and they um, they premiered the music video like for me and so that was the biggest press that I've ever gotten and I think still have have gotten um, and so that was really really exciting and it was exciting to go there and uh, and it's so much I don't know, as far as now being a Portlander, it's just there's so much more cultural cachet when you're traveling to say I'm from Portland. I moved from Eugene, mm. and so every, <laughs> got it. It's got like it. it's like no one has heard of that place um, unless for its like hippie dumb and everything. Um, yeah, but Portland people have heard of, and uh, and so it's like as soon as I moved here, I updated all my bios and everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but oh, but so when I got back. From that tour and that interview and everything, I put together this event at Literary Arts, that um, which is a really amazing organization that is downtown, like in a very great location. And um, they, their mission is to engage readers and writers, like supporting writers is one of their missions. And and so because I'm also a writer, I've been going to their events since I moved here. And uh, and they were super supportive in sponsoring a a music video screening that was also a um, like a a reading event. So I put together this little group of queer and queer BIPOC uh, writers, and they read their works. There was Sage Cooper Schick, Nastasha Minto, who would be a great person to have on this podcast. And okay, uh, write that TJ down, Asina. CJ. <laughs> and uh, and so it was a really the point of it. I guess the event I called it queer nature nurture, and it was like themes mm. related to nature and compassion because I feel like those are very intertwined. Um, and and so I feel like after that, I was pretty much touring, and then the pandemic happened. So I haven't had as many opportunities to. Mm. do much outside of my home since then <laughs> yeah well and then are you making stuff in quarantine now because yes. if you're not so you're you're clearly you're a very live person you're a very tour based person but yeah what's been happening since quarantine started have you been making music from home i have and i actually i have I have played some shows. It's easy to forget about them because they were in the same space as everything else in my life. Um, you know, my bedroom. <laughs> and but I did. I uh, Portland Audubon Society had this birdathon where they were raising money. In I think it was in May or June, and they had me be the Zoom musical guest. And then there was an event supporting Malheur National Wildlife Refuge that they asked me to play for. Um, and it was this like. It was a, it was a concert, but it involved like a uh, an interactive component of like bingo, like for the birds that are in my songs, and so people were like oh. <laughs> uh, getting bingos and prizes and things for that. Um, oh my! Okay, so well, let's <laughs> let's get into this because I think this is the question on everyone's mind: is <laughs> what's the deal with the birds? How does it? How did you bring music and birds together? It sounds so seamless when you describe this journey, but it doesn't necessarily connect for me right away. So tell me about mm. that connection. Um, so I guess the origin of it was that I I had experienced a lot of like trauma in my life, and I was going through a lot of therapy, and I needed some kind of mindfulness activity 
Um, and so I was going, I was going out a lot uh, on bike rides and things. And then one day I saw this bird, um, a western tanager, which it's this really like vibrant um, yellow and red and black bird that it doesn't look like anything that you would see in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, if you didn't know that they exist here. And so I was just like blown away and I was like, is this a bird that got out of somebody's like cage or something? And, uh, and it ended up being a native bird, um, like a neotropical migrant. And uh, it just, it like set this obsession in motion. And so in the birding world, that's called a spark bird. Um, oh. is the bird the bird that that gets you interested in birds and so that's what happened to me and uh, and pretty soon I was just hooked on birds um, and then and so throughout all that time of like kind of working on my mental health I was uh, I wasn't able to write songs so that was part of why I was working so hard on my mental health issues is that I was struggling with like creative block and so the birding stuff intertwined with my starting to write again and uh, and so it was just like at that point I was just so obsessed that there was no way to leave them out of the music uh, because it felt like like they were I think of them as like like the witnesses to like human drama <laughs> oh like, my gosh. like they are bystanding <laughs> I often think it's like at any great historical event or something, there must have been birds there who, like, their descendants are now, like, like in the places, you know? It's like yeah. the birds we see around us. It's like their great, great, great grand bird parents were probably here, you know, before white people ruined everything. Absolutely. And that's something that I've never thought about once in my life. <laughs> what, <laughs> but yeah. you're so right. <laughs> it's... I don't know, it's an interesting thought. And I think about it a lot in terms of like, say like wars and like catastrophes or something. It's like, who were the birds who were like there when Pompeii like happened? Just or watching it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's yeah. really strange. And so then I, you're yeah. using your art <laughs> to mostly raise funds for organizations that are supporting birds and wildlife. Is that I mean, what it sort of turned into? That would be ideal. I think, uh, I, I'm not sure if it has turned into that. It, it's certainly the niche that I think I've played into to some extent, but um, I, I think part of what I'm doing is just, well, on the most basic level is just loving birds and being unable to avoid uh, like mentioning them. But, um, <laughs> but then uh, the other thing is I think that I want to showcase like the diversity of birds um, and maybe get other people interested. Like that's not why I make music, but it's like an added thing is that I hope that, cause the names are so great. There's just so many wonderful, interesting <laughs> names. Like I just wrote a song that was inspired by the inaccessible island rail, which is this bird who lives on inaccessible island in the middle of the Atlantic. And so it's sort of a, a song about like, about someone who who like left it all behind and is like I like isolating themselves I don't know um yeah so I don't know it's just it's just interesting ideas to explore like I feel like there's a lot in 
bird in like their uh, like their life histories, I suppose that that can be inspiration and they can kind of be characters, um, especially in a time like this where it's like not a lot is happening to me personally. <laughs> there aren't many interactions to draw. Um, you know, like there aren't a lot of new interesting experiences that are happening to um, inspire something. So it's like I looked at, you know, pictures of these birds and considered their habitat and things. And I was like, what would it be like to be on this island with no one there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> and that's one of the interesting through lines I've sort of started to pick up on doing these podcasts is the connection between art and nature and the mm. inspiration that comes through that, our guest um, last week was is recording audio about nature and putting it in, adjusting it and putting it into songs as well. So like going mm. to rivers and then recording that audio, putting it in, and you're using these birds as an inspiration or a starting point to tell human stories about human mm. experiences through things, even just like their names, which is so interesting. Oh, yeah. And then, okay, well, and tell us now about this YA novel. So you're a song mm. musician artist and now you're writing a novel. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's the the working title for it is the Northern Great Basin Feminist Bird Club, which I don't know if that will stick, but um <laughs> but I I, I love so, it. So but, the feminist, um... Yeah, the Feminist Bird Club is an actual thing um based the it originally started in Brooklyn and their mission, I think, is a, it's like an intersectional approach to birding that brings, I think, brings awareness to issues, but they raise funds for, you know, like Black Lives Matter and for indigenous, um, like, uh, efforts, I suppose. And um, what else do they do? But so they, they also um, are helping bring, I guess, create a space where people who have been historically like excluded from outdoor activities like bird watching mm. can have can get involved you know and like um and be have the sort of like safety in numbers i suppose because it is definitely it can be very intimidating as like a queer person and like certainly as a person of color to be out in the middle of nature and mm. like and with binoculars, like sometimes you get like kind of harassed for that or like, I mean, I myself was, I was looking at birds one time and a cop like stopped me and like asked me all these questions and was like asking me if I was like looking at girls on the river or something. And I was like, I'm looking oh and it was sort of, it's sort of a funny story if it weren't so horrifying, um, but it was like, like he asked what I was looking for, looking at, and I said, "So there's a type of bird, a duck called a redhead." And I was like, "Well, I think." So I was like, "Maybe oh. he's a birder." I thought maybe he was a birder, and so I was like, "I think maybe redheads," and <laughs> and he was like, "What do you mean?" And and I was like, it, oh, "Like ducks." Oh my gosh! And uh, yeah, it was very it was very bizarre. But then of course everyone's heard of what happened with Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper. Right. They aren't they aren't related, but. Um, the black bird watcher in Central Park who was asking mm -hmm. the white woman with the dog to leash her dog and follow the leash laws, and then she called the police. Um, and so, yeah, so the Feminist Bird Club, it's like the point of it is 
um, making it so that uh, people of color and queer people, like people who might be harassed for being out in nature, um, so that they can have access. And so the book that I'm working on, it's kind of about, so it takes place at Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, but it's kind of an imagined, like, cultural and, like, trying to think like ecological hub that isn't really there I mean it's kind of in the middle of nowhere but I've sort of imagined like what if there were this vibrant like diverse community of birders who like Ooh. had a cool little place that they like had you know like artist in residence like sort of programs and uh, like really cool resources and and so it's sort of based on my own experience not with that, because that's fictional, but I ran away when I was in high school after coming out. And uh, and so my thought was sort of like, what if I had run away to this place in the middle of nowhere mm. and sort of like found ways to heal and to connect with people and have like a chosen family. Um, and while also discovering, you know, like practicing mindfulness in nature and becoming connected with something that would make me I don't know, like heal, like I said. And that's where the, the young adult audience comes in. Yeah. you're writing yeah. it for them, the people that want to run away, basically. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And because I think, because I think even if you can't run away, I think that birds provide like this escape from your everyday world, even in urban areas. Like, uh, I mean, in Portland, you can see, you know, maybe up to like 200 or more different species of birds. And so if you need something, if you need an escape from reality, um, it can be a very, like, useful one. Like, it's, mm. they're very present. And sometimes just, it's like a lot of mindfulness sort of exercises are, you know, listening and, like, engaging your senses. And I know that once I started learning, say, like, bird songs, being able to identify different calls and songs, it's like I can be inside a building and talking to someone and then hear this really distant, tiny sound that I'm like, oh, that was, you know, that was this bird. And so it really, like, brings you to the present moment mm. in a way that I feel like nothing else has done for me. Wow. Yeah, I'd never... You are just illuminating all of these things for me. We should I go birding. <laughs> yes, that sounds so lovely now. Oh, and it's such an outdoor, socially distant activity for yes. these times, honey. Yes. Okay. Um, whoa. Love that. Let's get into then our sort of second segment. And I know you've only sort of been mm. Here for a couple of years, but what have you noticed since you've arrived? What are the things you like about the Portland art scene? And what are the things you kind of are hoping for areas that we could improve on in the Portland art scene? Mm. So I think before moving here, I thought, like, oh, I'm going to move to the, this like bigger city and everything's going to be different or something. Like It's mm -hmm. going to be so easy to find all the opportunities that I've always dreamed of. And then I moved here <laughs> and it was kind of... It was kind of a disappointment, I suppose. I think um, it was uh, maybe fortunate that at the time that I moved here, I was starting to lean into the writing side of things because I think the writing community is just so welcoming and uh, and you know there's such the, there's this 
I feel like they really have an abundance mindset of like we can never have too many writers and mm. and every voice is important and we all need to support each other because you know writing is such an isolated kind of task that that you know we really need each other and there's such an appreciation for the struggle of it in the music community I feel like it's the total opposite <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's a scarcity mindset of like there are only so many opportunities to go around and we're all in competition for them and every it feels like there's I know that I have felt so much professional jealousy and it just like was eating mm. away at me to the point where I feel like I kind of opted out and like now I'm like you know whatever happens happens like I'm getting some gigs here and there and I'm not gonna like I don't want to spend my whole life trying to impress gatekeepers and I think mm. that like the venues I think that like there's only so much they can do in terms of what they offer to artists because they have to make money too so like when it's all wrapped up in this like capitalist system, it's just there's no way it can be as supportive as the writing community, I think. And and so yeah, I think I'm just very I'm kind of disillusioned with it, which is I don't know. I mean my goal in like talking in an interview would be to be like very kind. <laughs> but I feel mm -hmm. like I'm I'm sounding very cynical and I've only been here for a short time. But um but we I need think, this honest feedback too. We need this <laughs> sort of reflective look to improve. Yeah. I think the like the music community would do very well to model itself more on the writing community in terms of like it's like I don't know, the music community will have, you know, like networking events and stuff and I just feel like I don't know if networking is the way like networking and calling it networking, I feel like it just has the wrong vibe for I don't know. Mm. People people really need an opportunity to be earnest and connect on a level that isn't about like sort of trying to show off what you've done and like and you know show the like Instagram perfect version of your life and like make connections that are going to like you know move you up. I think that the writing community is very much like, you know, lift as you rise and it feels like the music community is like scrambling to find people who will lift you. Um, mm. at the expense of the people who are further down on the ladder. Um, but I think there are some places where, say like artichoke music is a place that, it's kind of like literary arts in that it's a cultural center that has, um, you know, events, you know, showcases of songwriters where the audiences are attentive and supportive and and they have music classes. And I think we... I think that cultural centers are really what we need more of. And I think that in my touring, like those are the places that really stand out as the ones that you have like these heartfelt shows where you like, where it feels like you've been a part of something really special at the end of the night. And speaking of nights, I feel like we need more shows that happen earlier in the day. <laughs> Cause I'm not, a, I'm not a night person. I would love to have like a culture of Sunday afternoon shows or something. That okay. just sounds so nice. Going to bed early, um, you know, maybe maybe a morning show even, you know, like an 8 a.m. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a take I have not heard. I'm going to be honest <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about it yet, but interesting idea. <laughs> Earlier shows. Earlier shows, yeah. Well, because sometimes it's like, I don't know, the only slot they'll offer you is like 10 p.m. or something. And I'm like, I am in bed at 930. I mm -hmm. like, I don't know. 
Um, so maybe, I mean, in a way, like the pandemic has worked very well for me because I'm like, I never have to stay up late for something uh, just to like try to further my career. <laughs> exactly. I can live stream whenever I want. Right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think you can probably move on. Well, I think, yeah, you probably, well, you touched on a lot of it, but yeah, what is what is the future of the Portland art scene? What are your hopes and dreams for it? And it sounds like we mm. we definitely want earlier shows as options. <laughs> we want more of this abundance mindset, which yeah. I love that you bring up less scarcity mindset. Is there anything else that you're thinking like this is the future of Portland art needs? Mm. I think well, so an event series that has stood out to me as being something we more of is Renee Muskis. She has this Renee's Queer Cabaret. Ooh. And I feel like it's really this cool opportunity for people whose art like falls outside the box. And I think that that's what we need more of. We need more opportunities mm. for like the weird queer like musicians in Portland, like the people who aren't just making like mainstream stuff, who aren't like, I don't know, doing like sort of the Portland version of top 40 things or something. Mm, um, gotcha. I feel like we need more space for like, yeah, the weirdos, the people who are, I mean, maybe that's just self-serving. That's what, why I'm thinking it. It's like, well, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't fit into the box. And so I want more opportunities for people who don't fit mm -hmm. in the box. But I think, I think that would help a lot with, I don't know, like, musicians need to be able to be ambitious while also not like losing their humanity <laughs> and i think that like the way things are like with it all being about capitalism and like you know who has the biggest draw and who like can sell the most drinks um like that just isn't a healthy way for artists to be working and oh another really cool thing that happened recently that um that I think we need more of is, um, I don't know if you know of the, the artist collective Future Prairie. Um, no, that sounds awesome though. Yeah, they're here in Portland. I'm not actually technically a part of it, though they did give me uh, free access to Masterclass, which is really awesome. Okay. But, um, yeah, that was really cool. But so that, well, that's a cool thing that they did. But another thing is that they, I think they collaborated with, I don't know what the company was, I think it's like Wacom tablets. I don't really know anything about that, but they gave they gave uh, three um, three month like creative basic income to Ooh. so like three three artists got a three month creative basic income um, to just focus think, on their art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like obviously people need to be able to like have a livelihood from their art, and so that's part of why we end up getting competitive. Um, but mm. I think if only there could be some kind of, I mean, I suppose like a residency or like fellowships are one way to do that. But um, yeah, we need to be able to support artists financially. And I think that that would really solve the competitiveness that I think can mm. really like eat away at us. I mean, I think a lot of artists, I, the professional jealousy like gets to them and I don't know how it is in other realms like filmmaking but yeah it's interesting that like 
we're, we obviously don't want a scarcity mindset, but then the entire world we're operating in is built off of a scarcity mindset. So it's like, how do we exist in a space that is so destined to lead us towards scarcity? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, really good insight. Really good thoughts. Thank you so much. I mean, our time just flew by. That was (laughs) riveting. (laughs) Um, yeah, where can people find you online, Stephen? Ah, um, stephennance.com, which my name is spelled funny, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-N-A-N-C-E. Mm-hmm. And um, Instagram, I'm weirdly active on Twitter. I know that's not a big thing anymore, but uh, <laughs> it is big in the bird world. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, bird Birding Twitter. Bird Twitter, is, bird yeah, Twitter, okay. That is, that is where it's at. Um, but so I am there, and... Uh, and I just started a Patreon, so okay. currently I have uh, one patron, <laughs> but uh, so maybe one of these listeners will be number two. Okay, that's that's up to all y'all listening, okay? <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, and y'all for reals, listen to Steven's music. It goes off. It really is exactly what I needed today and in this sort of dark time. It, it covers some heavy issues in such a hopeful way, which is really all I'm looking for. Um, well, thank you so much, Stephen, for being on. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast, y'all. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>